On a quiet night in August 1977, at an empty lab in Ohio, something extraordinary happened. For 72 seconds, a high-frequency signal came through on a special radio telescope. When the signal was discovered, it began a decades-long search for its source. Did we really get a message from extraterrestrials? This week's episode is The Wow Signal. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. think I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> this fucked you up. And everyone is going to watch it happen in real time. I've It's been going on for a couple days. I told you last night <laughs> that I just, this has fucked me up. It's fucked me up. <laughs> but not, I mean, like I've always thought of. In like a good way. Life, that there is definitely intelligent life beyond mm-hmm. us. I have yeah. now started to think about. How, um, what's the word I'm looking, uh, arrogant, naive, (laughs) perhaps that I've been thinking, um, I've just been taking other perspectives into consideration lately, specifically what we were discussing the other night of an ant can't conceptualize what we are. No. Their brains can't handle that. They see mm-hmm. us as a threat, I'm sure, if we're coming at mm-hmm. them or whatever. But they have their whole ant world with their own ant stuff and their whole ant way of doing stuff. And we don't know what it is. We see them as a nuisance. We stomp them out and then it's gone. Yeah. We zoom in on them or whatever. And they have their own ant time because their time moves differently for ants because they're so small, which I had to learn from a documentary on Netflix. Isn't that wild, though? So then yeah, all of it. Yeah. Why would we assume, and I'm not, I don't say this trying to say that there is a quote higher power or a quote God or any of that, because I don't really use those types of words. However, I think it would be, we would be remiss to think that we are the smartest things out there and that the buck stops here <laughs> and then yeah. the next step above us would be. For some, that might mean heaven. For others, it might mean uh, reincarnation. For others, it might just mean darkness. Whatever that Mm -hmm. means to you. I recently have thought, though, like, I don't even know how to put it into words, really. You're just looking at me. <laughs> I was waiting for you to finish because I know a lot of times if I start talking, then you're like, damn it, I forgot what I was oh, going to say. So I was letting you, I was giving you, I don't think you're wrong, by the way. I don't think anything you're saying is wrong. I just was trying to give you space. Oh, well, so that, oh speaking of space, yeah. that's what God I'm damn. talking about. There's so much shit out there. How are we to know? But really what this has made me think about, and Stephen Hawking has blown my mind on many oh, yeah. occasions. You know what? He's a smart guy. I'm going to throw it out there. There's a lot of smart people out there. And especially researching this, I actually even thought, God damn, there are so many brilliant minds out there. Oh, yeah. That have 
that have done and are doing and will do so much that a lot of us don't know about, or we kind of take it for granted, but mostly we just don't know about because it's not in our field of study or interest. However, they're doing the most to make sure that, you know, we stick around for a while or we can kind of figure out what's going on out there. And it's just interesting that we kind of all look up in the night sky and just think, yeah, that's cool. But then a lot of us or a small fraction look up and think, I can't sleep without knowing what else is going on up there. And I'm going to dedicate my life to trying to find out. And I think it's interesting and maybe telling as far as the human race that we're not all just as fascinated as the people we're going to talk about today. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point that perspective wise, we're all very much in whatever's happening three feet around us or even what's going to happen two weeks from now or what happened a week ago or, you know, we're all kind of self-centered, right? You said that the other day, you're like, everybody just thinks they're the main character, which we all do. I say that too. Everybody's the star of their own show. Mm -hmm. I don't take things personally because most of the time people do things selflessly, thoughtlessly, and it's because they thought of themselves and I don't fault them for that because I do the same shit. But you're right, given that it goes on. Forever. I mean, that we know of. We don't know how what far What do we goes. know? What do we know? A little, but a lot now, thank God, because people have been working so hard as, you know, the folks that we're going to talk about here today, people are still working hard on trying to receive messages, send messages, just see what the fuck is out there, map it. I didn't even think about until we really dug down in here, the breadth of astronomical research. I always just thought you look up and see where the planets are moving, but this is a whole other field of you can see what moves, but you can also hear stuff moving. And I was like, oh, I did not know that. Oh yeah. no, what? They're like, yeah, we can hear. sounds, everyone. And they go on for infinity. But that's that's the other thing too, is yes, we know a lot. And we've learned a lot. However, who's to say that there is another Earth-like planet out there in some other universe with a much, much more evolved us that their knowledge and what they are doing on their Earth is exponentially more advanced than what we're doing here. So while we know a lot, do we really know a lot or is it just what our tiny minds we have a ceiling, a brain yeah. ceiling that we haven't yet gotten over the hump, so to speak. We're going to take the Wonka Vader out of our brain ceilings, out into space. But <laughs> you're right. Crash because, through and that glass brain ceiling. <laughs> Uh, you're right, Bob Dixon, who works uh, heavily in, we'll just, you'll hear his name a lot, folks. He's an astronomer, worked with the big ear, but he you said the term anthropomorphism, and he just kind of was trying to use it to explain that. While, yes, there are building blocks of the universe, we can't know every single how far a society has gone or how far it will go. Like we, we can try to put it into the box of humans, but he said there's nothing that suggests that an extraterrestrial would look like a human, would know our language. Obviously, they're, so we're going to beam them up a message in English and they're going to get it. Like, you know, so when we receive messages from them to the extraterrestrials it may have been crystal clear but we don't have the capacity to interpret it mm -hmm. much like a gentleman in one of the documentaries goes 
you're sitting out in your garden and there's a squirrel and you make some big sound. The squirrel just runs off because it heard the sound. You're not going to go over and explain to the squirrel, hey, I just dropped something. And I was like, oh, we're the squirrel. To someone, to something. Something out there, we might be the squirrel. Like, we shot a a message to this planet. What do we do? And they just go, they're idiots. They're homo sapiens. They don't even know what it meant. That just sounds like (laughs) static. Just leave them alone. They'll forget about it. They're us one million years ago. In the future. You know? I got a lot of stuff rattling around up there in my brain. And um, it's, you know, it's tickling. (laughs) Tickling my insides. So I will say, you use the word infinity do you watch it or don't watch it? There's a documentary on Netflix now called Infinity and it's mathematicians exploring the nature of infinity and it is just a lot. I watched like 15 minutes of it and was like, that's enough for today. I'll come back another time when I'm ready. <laughs> it is a one hour episode, but we're going to break it down into a six part series because yeah, we need like, just digestible little chunks for our brains to <laughs> understand. But even in that, there was a genius mathematician giving this really long analogy to help explain it. And the producer asked a question and the mathematician was like, oh, well, I hadn't thought about that. I guess I don't Uh know. (laughs) And I was like, that's the I love this about scientists is that you and especially SETI, which is a subset of astronomy, that you have to be okay with not knowing, not getting an answer right away, but still working towards something, understanding that there is a larger goal. And when this one thing comes through, like today, you kind of go, oh, shit, it's all worth it. Or is it? Or is it? We'll see. Well, this episode is especially fun because it very much ties into our full moon energy tour and all the stuff we're currently discussing on tour. We are going to be in San Francisco on June 7th and L.A. on June 9th. So if you're on the West Coast or you're not and you're just like, let's go to the West Coast, there's a handful of tickets for each show available. L.A. may even be sold out, but... Go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows, and we hope to see you there. And I'm sure that something about this is going to come up. How can oh. it not? <laughs> it definitely is, especially this whole the discussion we've had up top. Come to the Full Moon Energy Tour and contemplate the nature of your existence. <laughs> yeah. The Q&A will just be me kind of <laughs> blankly staring off and occasionally just muttering things <laughs> as I work through all of this in my own brain. Please come help Christy work through it. <laughs> Well, I'm Christy. And I'm Heather. And let's get into it. In the post-World War II era, the United States began focusing more on applying current technology to our exploration of outer space. In 1960, astronomer Frank Drake began the first modern SETI experiment using the radio telescope at the National Radio Astronomy Observatory in Green Bank, West Virginia. SETI stands for Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence and has become a collective term for scientific searches for intelligent extraterrestrial life. Drake started his work by listening to two sun-like stars on a very specific frequency, 1420 megahertz. Well, the only way you can make (laughs) this maybe a little cooler (laughs) is take off that one. You just get a 420 megahertz. Then we know who we're looking for. It's 1420 megahertz somewhere. <laughs> uh, and then the, the the right type of extraterrestrials are like, ooh, they're on our frequency. Here they are. Yeah. And instead of uh, numbers and messages, we just see a giant, just a puff of smoke <laughs> kind of just looms over the whole planet. <laughs> We've arrived. They're here. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. 
Hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, and the frequency at which hydrogen atoms vibrate is 1420.4 megahertz. Therefore, Drake chose this frequency as the one most likely to be used for alien transmissions. The 1420 MHz band became an internationally protected radio frequency that is kept free of all man-made communications, just in case something comes through. That's a good plan. You want to leave the lines open? I never knew this. I didn't know I... that we'd all agreed to keep 1420 open just in case. You guys be cool. <laughs> Don't muck up the channel. Don't get like, you're like making all these jokes on the radio when you really need to make a call. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, get off the phone. We're all expecting a call. <laughs> Stay off the line. Stay Hang off up, the Mom. computer. Yeah. It's like, who's, who picked up the phone? I'm on the internet. Get off the internet right now. We're waiting for the <laughs> call to come through. The aliens might be trying to call. Like, I'm downloading stuff from AOL. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Buckeye State was working on something of its own. In 1946, the father of modern radio astronomy, John Krauss, joined the Ohio State University faculty. First, he built a small radio telescope on some university farmland. Soon, he knew they needed a much bigger instrument to achieve their goals. I like this man who was just like, well, I'll make my own and just yeah. did do that. And every a lot of people, I won't say everyone, but a lot of people that find themselves drawn to radio astronomy have figured out ways to do it on smaller scales or in their homes. Yeah. And just, John Krauss was like, I'm not letting this stop me. I'll do it myself. It is truly remarkable that so many people are like, I could build a telescope by myself and then just do that <laughs> or a radio transmitter and... It's like, yeah, this is where I live in Chicago. Oh, this is my backyard with my 20-foot <laughs> radio signal that I just shoot up in the skies. And I've built all, like, how do you even know to do that? No idea. Very impressed by it all. You're referring to Robert Gray, the wow signal enthusiast yes. in Chicago who built a bit like a 30-foot fucking huge satellite in this backyard in Logan Square, which is a very Chicago neighborhood. It's not out in the country. It's At just least he put it in the backyard. Yeah, I found out he he passed away a few years back, um, but I did find out he was a UIC alum. Go oh, Flames. Go Flames. <laughs> and he was a badass. He was like a badass data analyst that in his spare time got obsessed with listening to the skies. Yeah. And all it takes is like a 30-foot-ish diameter for him to do it at home. And one of the things he was watching on a little computer in this documentary, and it was this 2017 documentary about the wow signal, he's watching images of the night sky and he says to the documentarians no one's ever seen this before i just go through and click through and i'm looking for um a colored dot that's an anomaly that doesn't fit here and you just go through screen by screen but to think that he is looking and then therefore the filmmakers and us are seeing something that nobody else sees and it's then magical. Imagine how much of the sky and the universe and galaxies that nobody sees. You can't even conceive it. Right. We've mapped a lot, but that's still so very little. Yeah, very little. Yeah. What our knowledge and ability is so limited to what else could be out there that we really have no idea where we rank on the list of intelligence, intelligent life forms in Whatever all of this is from right. here I'm, to infinity and beyond. I'm like, let us just be somewhere middle top towards the top. Well, I see, think that's what's so interesting <laughs> to me that I've been thinking about is 
we assume we are the top. I mean, a lot of people who believe in, you know, a higher power, maybe we're not the top, but we're the top before you get to God. Yeah. Which is pretty arrogant to think that we're, it's us, then the person that some believe created the universe. There's probably something in between us and that. I don't know. Seems like we could probably do better. You know, it's not just it's not just us. <laughs> Let's not There's say something that. better than us. You're right though. The hubris of man to go, we're second really only to God, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. have you heard about these oracle whales ganging up and killing stuff? Right. No. We're they're smart too. They're yeah. smart. And honestly, I think that we've angered the skies because if you all hear any thunder throughout this, it's because it's rumbling. It's mad. The Those we're talking about us. Thunder is rolling over here. We're full on Garth Brooksing it. If you, I've, <laughs> I've stopped waiting for it to pass because it's going to take forever if we do. Yeah. Just yeah, but it's, it feels appropriate. The skies are talking to us. It's our third co-host. Just as we're trying to talk to the skies. Fuck. Sinisterhood will be right back. In 1956, with the help of volunteers and a grant from the National Science Foundation, Krauss and OSU began construction on a new enormous radio telescope. The 2017 documentary, The Wow Signal, explains that while most are familiar with optical telescopes used to magnify far-off objects, not everyone is aware of radio astronomy. This particular science focuses on the invisible, the radio frequency portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. The goal was to map wideband radio sources and chart the skies. Krauss planned for the receiving parabola to be 2,000 feet wide, but had to cut his plans to 720 feet, and eventually settled for the more financially achievable 360 feet wide. Astronomer Bob Dixon, who worked at OSU at the time, told documentary filmmakers that the goal was the most sensitive telescope for the least amount of money. As someone who does not like to compromise, once I get a vision in my head, this would have been real hard. It's such a And bummer. I appreciate that, you know, Krauss was like, all right, well, we got to work with what we're given and we're still going to do a great thing with that. Right. Like, we'll make it work. It's fine. But just think <laughs> of what maybe we would have happened, what would would have found if it was 2,000 feet wide. That's what I'm saying. Like so many of the astronomers and scientists in this documentary keeps saying, well, it's really expensive to do the things we want to do, which numbers weren't even given because they're probably just too big for us to comprehend. However, is that a good place for us to be spending our money? And by us, I mean the government grants, et cetera. Do we need to know what's going on up there? Do we all want to live in, you know, ignorant bliss and just stay here? What could be accomplished by things that we might find if more resources were given to space exploration? And that's a good point, because also the uh, the OSU radio telescope and some of these other radio telescopes, in addition to their astronomy, their use in discovering new stars and planets and things can also be used for weather. NASA has a whole, you know, NASA looks into weather and climate change. Also, sometimes defense, they can help mm-hmm. with tracking radio and ra- uh, radar and things like that. Satellites. So, well, one would be like, we don't need to write a big check just to go looking for aliens. It's like, yeah, we're looking for aliens. But there's like six other things we can do with this. Let us also just look for aliens, like maybe on the weekends. <laughs> Is that cool? We'll do it on our own time. Okay. <laughs> During the week, we, we, we yeah. can figure out some time to do it. And you know what? Sometimes... You kill two birds with one stone. You're up there looking for something. Eh, 
maybe an alien just flies through and you get to <laughs> see? see it. Exactly. It's all, everybody wins. Yeah. After five years of construction, the finished result was officially known as the Ohio State University Radio Observatory. Informally, it was known as the Big Ear. Its largest reflector was known as the Flat Reflector. And that surface was so large that it had the sensitivity equivalent to a circular dish the size of half a football field. Overall, the entire apparatus was the size of over three football fields. It included a tiltable flat reflector, 340 feet long by 100 feet high, which faced a parabolic reflector, which was 360 feet long by 70 feet high. To save on cost, the telescope used the rotation of the Earth to control its movements, in addition to its tilting reflectors. OSU first powered on the Big Ear in 1963, two years after its construction was complete. This set off the world's longest extraterrestrial search, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, and when you're trying to visualize it, it's like a big flat thing, and then the signal zaps to that, and then it hits another thing, and then it hits down into these other scoopers, and those dump it into a computer. It's kind of a ding-dong. It's like, you know, when a cowboy spits into a spit bucket, it's like that, but the sound from space ricochets around and then goes down this on the bottom. This is why we need more money dumped into the <laughs> space system. <laughs> so we're not just describing it. You know when a cowboy spits in... Spits his chaw into his spittoon and it bounces around. It's kind of like that. That's how we're going to hear I'm from wrong. the aliens. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's called the big ear because it's listening. I don't, it doesn't look like one, which I feel like is a mistake. I think they should have constructed it. It could have been fun. But yeah, it's a, it's a big old thing. And telescopes in general are very confusing. And I don't know how they work, but it's it's great. So this is like a big one, but instead it measures uh, radio frequencies instead of like visual stuff. Yeah, it's just interesting how it has to. They also said to save money, they're like, we can't move it any direction. So we'll just rely on the Earth because that kind of moves. And then we'll just go the other way, which honestly is really smart. And I think necessity is the mother of invention that mm -hmm. you only have so many dollars and you want to try to cover as much as you can. So you work with it. You got a natural tilter right there. Piggyback Bam. on that tilt. From the beginning of its operation in 1963 through 1970, the Big Ear was used to create entire maps of the sky. Called the Ohio All-Sky Survey, the Big Ear and its team of dedicated staff and volunteers were able to survey 70% of the sky. However, in 1972, a budget shortfall from the National Science Foundation changed everything. You can map 70% of the sky and still they come along and go, we actually can't give you any more money. You're more <laughs> You're than like, halfway really? done. That's yeah, a C. Exactly. That's passing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nope. Sorry. And this was 1972. So I think in this, you said it does dovetail with the Full Moon Energy Show in which we talk about the Apollo program somewhat. And it dovetails with the starting to phase out towards the end of the Apollo program everybody kind of got that feeling of why are we spending all this money in space suddenly richard nixon's the president and it the bloom is off the rose like we already beat the russians to the moon why are we really fighting this anymore i mean we still had the cold war and they were still interested i think more focus shift away from space and more towards how can we build a bomb a weapon things like that to be more competitive on the earth here yeah for sure while the big year was listening Astronomer Frank Drake was sending a message of his own. On November 16, 1974, 
He aimed the Arecibo telescope in Puerto Rico at Messier 13, also known as the Great Hercules Cluster, a globular star cluster located about 25,000 light years from Earth in the constellation of Hercules. He and the team from Cornell University then sent a message that included the following information. A counting scheme of 1 to 10. The atomic numbers for hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and phosphorus, which make up DNA. The chemical formulas that make up DNA. An image of the DNA double helix. A stick figure of a human being, our average dimensions, and the human population of Earth. A depiction of the solar system, indicating that the message is coming from the third planet. And a schematic of the Arecibo Observatory and its dimensions. You just basically told him where to find us and how to beat us up. <laughs> we're only well, about we're... this tall. This is what we're made of. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and put on all of our strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> Soft, cries it, easily. Yeah. <laughs> but Eyes are weak. Yeah, it's interesting what you're going to send up there, but I feel like this... It covers a lot. And if you got a yeah. bunch of people sitting around, you're like, listen, we can send up one, two, three, four, five, seven things. We got seven <laughs> bullet points we can send up. Everybody throw out their ideas. We'll pick the most popular. I guess this is what, what you get. That's what they came out with. And, and they're color coded, each of the pieces of information. And when you put the binary code into, I suppose, a computing system, but the translation comes out, it looks like Tetris. It's like these little squares. And so it's like a little man made out of squares and a little DNA double helix made out of squares. And I just imagine some extraterrestrial going, oh, that's cute. <laughs> look, is it like it's like a macaroni oh, drawing. Oh, <laughs> look, they've learned how to use computer. Oh. How two million years ago of them. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Two million in late. Can I just say that I don't get light years? Yeah. I yeah, don't I mean, understand same what though. that means. I, uh... People, I mean, I know what it is. I know the definition. I can't comprehend it. Well, the, I, what throws me off is anything that has to do with time like you were telling me you were trying to explain to Ella, like we can see in this telescope, this thing that's really far away, but it's maybe not there anymore. It's just the reflection of the light from a really long time ago. Yeah. And that's what fucks me up. <laughs> yeah. And then when she asked me to follow up on that, I had to bail because that was the extent of my knowledge. I should have looked up more. I got an educator. Somebody on explain it like I'm five has this upvo very upvoted analogy. Okay. If I were to tape a little message to a tennis ball that said, it is 1 p.m., roll it to you at your house at a speed of one mile per hour, and your house is one mile from where I started the roll, by the time you got the ball and read it, you would say, no, it's not 1 p.m., it's 2 p.m. You'd be seeing my message an hour after I wrote it because the speed of the ball traveling to you is not instantaneous. Light is much faster than the ball. A light year is a measure of distance, not time. It is the distance light can travel. Further, all you see is light. That's what the eyeball senses. So the light that you see from something really, really far away has the same delay that the rolling ball does, but the distances are so large that it adds up to years and years of delay, even at a tremendously fast speed of light. What so that's was that user's name? Because let's <laughs> all give them credit for that. We Please give a round of applause to Guy 74 on the Explain It Like I'm 5 subreddit from eight years ago. Who did Thank great, you. Guy 74 
Thank you, B guy. That That's does helpful. make sense, though. That is helpful. Now that we know. Thanks, Bee Guy seventy four. <laughs> I didn't check his post history. He could be a pervert. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah, we're all, we're. It's this this and that is. The only reason we're thanking him. I still think that that's weird, though. I mean, it's 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 so yeah. fascinating. That is a thing. It circles back to what you were saying at the beginning, which is it is so far. Like, imagine how far you have to be that something that travels as instantaneously as light still appears so many millions of years in the distance. That just shows how far, how far, fa- far away and, things are. Yeah. And we can, I think where I get tripped up is I'm like, oh, well, I can see it. So it can't be that right. far away. But that's that's not how it works. <laughs> Just PSA, that's not how it works. Hey, listen, I saw it. It's still, it was an email scam. I know you read it, but it was a scam. <laughs> but they said in the email. But I this saw is, it. This is from the next door post today on, my, on the local neighborhood where a woman got a phishing attempt that said, we've watched you through your camera and saw the video that you were watching and what you were pleasuring yourself to. <gasps> And she posted the like it was a phishing scheme, but it's not real. I know, they just but so that's an <coughs> uncomfortable email to receive from and anybody. It said, I, for unless you send four hundred bitcoins, which doesn't make sense because that's a lot. Maybe they meant four hundred dollars in bitcoins. We're going to tell everybody on your c- contacts list what you've been oh, diddling to. This is a Black Mirror episode. It really was yeah. a Black Mirror episode. Well, but this one, it was just a phishing, a phishing scam. Anyhow, she posted it and was like, I was not watching any videos of the sort. And everyone just had to explain like, <laughs> yes, just because you got it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you can see it doesn't God, mean it's real. What if she yeah. had been just by coincidence? <laughs> Somebody's getting 400 Bitcoin. She's like, I can't believe they saw what videos I was looking at. <laughs> Sinister Hood will be right back. Donald Campbell, a research associate at the Arecibo Observatory at the time, told Cornell News. It was strictly a symbolic event to show that we could do it. Still, those present were moved at the symbolism of transmitting our location into the unknown. Harold Kraft, Cornell's vice president for services and facilities, who was then the director of the Arecibo Observatory, told the Cornell News on the 25th anniversary of the event. We translated the radio frequency message into a warbling audio tone that was broadcast over speakers at the ceremony. When it started, much of the audience spontaneously got up and walked out of the tent and gazed up at the telescope. In awe. Or they were like, this is loud-ass static. I think the radio's <laughs> broken. Get up. Let's just go outside and look at the telescope. It's Somebody funny. turn this down. This is giving me a headache. <laughs> it's- it's like you're signing on to dial up. And they're yeah. like, the beautiful message to the stars. <laughs> really? Meanwhile, some alien on another planet is like, get off. I'm trying to download my stuff. Y'all damn it. Interrupting the signal. Damn it. Yeah. It's pretty amazing, though, to hear something. And then you do go up and look up at the sky and think, this is out there somewhere. Something's like, out there somewhere. Hi, we're Hi here. There. It's me. <laughs> the message didn't receive an immediate response, which made sense given the movement of the Great Hercules Cluster at the time. By the time our message would have arrived, the cluster would have moved, though any other body in space could theoretically intercept the message. Yeah, you're just flying out of, in deep space somewhere and like, boing, boing, boing. what was that? And then you I put have it through. A, I have a suggestion. What's up? Can they not predict in the amount of time that they think it will take to get there 
where whatever point in the sky they're trying to aim for, where that's going to be, yeah. you know, because it travels, moves, and then you just shoot it at that point in the sky, and then hopefully you meet up. I wondered that, and I thought, surely they do that. That's how we do almost all of space travel. Like, it's going to be here at this time, so mm-hmm. we have to go around. And this one, he said it was stri- strictly symbolic, so I guess he was like, just go out and fire it up and aim it. Damn. It's fine. Well, maybe somebody heard it, you know? It's out there somewhere. Damn. What if in however many years, 100 years or 1,000 years, the accidental recipient of that message gets it and they only got it because he didn't do bother to do the trajectory? Like it would have hit the Hercules cluster, which was nothing, but instead it hit this ship or hit this other thing. But instead it, it hits a civilization that hasn't been created yet fuck. that's probably going to be behind us as the next one that then travels through. Bam. Somebody's going to hear it. It's all meant to be. Back in Ohio, Bob Dixon had an idea. The OSU astronomer had attended a NASA meeting in California, where he was inspired to begin a SETI program at OSU. He reasoned that he had all he needed, an enormous radio telescope that was no longer being funded for specific purposes by the National Science Foundation and a whole host of dedicated volunteers willing to direct their energies to the Big Ear's new project. When he announced a new use for the Big Ear, even more volunteers signed up. Rather than merely mapping large band radio waves, the Big Ear would start listening for more narrow bands. Dixon explained, Natural signals, they sound the same no matter where you tune your radio. If you have like your AM radio, it would sound the same, you know, hissing sound no matter where. On the other hand, an intelligent signal we believe will be tuned in only at one point on the dial, and that's what we're looking for, a narrow band signal. Narrow band signals are artificial. There are not many things in nature that make narrow band signals. With that goal in mind, OSU's SETI program officially launched in December of 1972 with no funding and staffed entirely by volunteers. It was only a few years later that something extraordinary happened. On the night of August 15, 1977, something came through. The lab was empty, and only the machinery was there when it happened. A narrowband radio wave was captured, and for 72 seconds, it transmitted 30 times more powerfully than random radio noise. As the Big Ears reflectors turned on the signal, it formed a perfect bell on the charts, rising at the beginning, peaking at the height of 30 times power, and dropping back down to almost nothing as the telescope turned away. The first reflector would face a direction of space for 72 seconds, record what it heard, then tilt and move on. Three minutes later, the second reflector would move into the same position and record for an additional 72 seconds. By the time the second reflector was directed toward the wow signal's origin, it was no longer transmitting. So only one of the Big Ear's two reflectors captured it. And unfortunately, they don't know if it was missed the first reflector, hit the second reflector, or if it hit the first reflector and then stopped by the time the second reflector turned towards it. Whatever it was, within 72 seconds, it had turned off. Yes. Yeah. Within the it was, the whole 72 seconds, that's just as long as it recorded. So was it recording before that, and then as soon as the big ear turned on it and was listening for the 72 seconds, it realized somebody was listening, it turned off, or it didn't start until it faced that way, and then it recorded for the 72 seconds. 
We'll never know. The way I picture this thing working is it's sweeping across the, the sky. So if something is making a sound when the beam sweeps over it, it's going to catch it. So yes. in my mind, something was making a noise. We swept by, caught it. Yes. And then it ended. That's what, yeah. And there's just, it basically, you can think of the big ear as like two hands. If you to- hold your two hands up, the right hand sweeps first. And then, as just the way that the movement of the big ear was going, then the second hand would sweep the same spot again three minutes later. So it's just, you're right, though. The To get the peak that it got, it would have had to have been going right then whenever we looked at it because it started low, went all the way up high over the 72 seconds and went down low again. So you're right. I think we swept right by something that was coming right this way. Something was making something. Over the years, OSU relied on volunteers to help scan the many, many lines of printed out code from the big ear. Volunteer radio astronomer Jerry Eman was one such volunteer. Eman would receive boxes of printed signals and review the signal printouts for any anomalies. This man is so sweet. He's very sweet. He just is a lover of science. He's an astronomer himself. And he said two, about two times a week, people would just drop off boxes, boxes of like stacks of printed out paper that's just lines and lines of code and after he worked his real job or after dinner he'd just sit down and go through them like he's grading papers but it was something he really enjoyed doing and was doing it totally volunteer that yeah shout out to all the volunteers at all the astronomical facilities across the world because it is so underfunded that Imagine how much longer it would have taken to discover this if you didn't have the Jerry's of the world who are like, well, put them on my porch and I'll go through them. Mm -hmm. Bless you. OSU utilized an IBM 1130 computer to analyze the data from the big ear. The intensity of observed radio signals were translated into single digits. The computer's printouts would show 50 columns of data with one digit on each line. Each column represented every channel being monitored. Each digit represented the intensity of the signal, with one being the lowest. After the numbers 1 through 9, letters were used to represent signals stronger than a 9. A for 10, E for 11, and so on. The higher the numbers or letters meant a higher signal strength. While reviewing the printouts one day, Jerry, with his red pen in hand, saw the sequence 6EQUJ5. He was astonished. In his years of volunteering, he had never seen something so notable. Almost all frequency readings he had seen before were comprised of numbers, representing a lower strength. Beside the sequence, Jerry wrote his now famous reaction in red pen, three letters and an exclamation mark. Wow! Jerry said in a later recollection, I immediately recognized this as the pattern we would expect to see from a narrow-band radio source of small angular diameter in the sky. He told filmmakers in 2017 that he was so excited about his find, he nearly used a word stronger than wow. (laughs) It's fortunate. I thought about this later. Wow was like an expletive, but a, a good expletive, so I didn't get deleted. Though he was excited, Jerry continued his search. He told interviewers, I was especially interested to see if that same signal came back a day later, but it didn't. It didn't appear on the third or fourth days either. 
After I got through looking at all the printouts, I called Dr. Krauss and said, we have got something interesting here. So you're sitting at your, <laughs> your kitchen table alone at night, just going through like you normally do, and bam, something right. you've never seen before jumps out at you. That's got to be a pretty amazing feeling. You're seeing one, two, three. You're right, man. That's like the jackpot. It's like scratching off your lotteries every night. And finally you hit like, did this, is this, is this right? Like he said, I looked at it cause you've never, he'd never seen that many letters in sequence and seeing them where it's a number on either end, lower letters on either end, and then two high letters in the center that shows that exact bell curve of what you were saying. When we turn the reflector at a single source of sound that's coming through on that narrow band. That's exactly what he was looking for. So they're telling him, just keep your eye out for this. Like, you're probably never going to find it. It's We've been at this for like eight years now. And then that night, you're like, I have to make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> or at first, you're like, is it is the computer messed up? Surely not. I would probably, well, I'm not an astronomer, so, but <laughs> me, I'd be like, ah, oh, it's messed up. Isn't it so incredible, though, that he's... At that moment, the only person that knows this. Right. Well, that that lives on this planet. Oh, shit. You know? I mean, like, that's a pretty cool thing to be the only person that, like, knows of something. Or the first person to see something, like, so monumental. It was such a huge thing. Yeah. And, I, I mean, in 10,000 years, they're going to come to our planet and go, bring us Jerry Eamon. He was the <laughs> recipient of our message. And we have to be like, he died like 10,000 yeah, years we'll ago. Like, and they're like, we got some bad news. We haven't <laughs> caught up to y'all in terms of like how you live past, you know, like 100 <laughs> is usually where we're capping out. So any notes you have. <laughs> they're like, we just got your message yesterday and we came as quick as we could. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that's our bad. Yeah. This is we, awkward. We're trying to be fun and just shot it up in space. <laughs> and we didn't take everybody's suggestion of really trying to see where this was going to end up and maybe meet y'all. <laughs> we got those cute little pictures of you in the Tetris blocks. And we tried to write <laughs> back and then no one replied. John Krauss and his team immediately dove in. Krauss looked into stars, galaxies, planets, satellites, and anything else that could have sent the signal. Bob Dixon told documentary filmmakers, This is a scientific method. To discover something extraordinary, we needed extraordinary proof. Radio waves are everywhere in space and on Earth. In space, the waves come from naturally occurring sources like stars and quasars, or man-made sources like satellites in orbit. The frequency range of the WOW signal was super narrow, ruling out stars and quasars, which emit sound at a much wider range frequency. It was also narrow and precise, unlike the scattered transmissions that researchers would receive from cosmic radiation. Thus, the big ear personnel ruled out natural causes for the signal. If it was not an identifiable naturally occurring sound, the next thing to rule out was something human-made. At the time the signal came through, there were around 300 satellites orbiting in space. OSU researchers were able to track the movement of those satellites, and confirmed that none were in the range of the big ear on the night in question. They also ruled out satellites given the orbital rate of those already in space. For a satellite to emit a signal at the rate of the WOW, it would have needed to be traveling in an incredibly far orbital range, well beyond where any of the currently launched satellites were. 
Yeah, so basically they just figured out based on distance and the type of sound, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. But you have a lot of respect that they didn't just immediately go, we've got the signal. They were like, let's just be sure before we start That is the publishing. scientific method. I mean, like like any good researcher or someone that, you know, it wants to take everything into account, just like paranormal researchers are like, mm-hmm. we got to rule everything out before we say it, it, it could be a ghost. Well- science researchers we got to rule everything out to make sure that we have something here that we actually think is something that takes a long time but then when it all pays off (laughs) which did it pay off here we're still waiting but you know but at least like i feel like it adds a lot more credibility to something when you have a group of academic professionals saying okay we're all gonna make sure it's not xyz before we jump to any conclusions and coming out saying this is what we found too does anybody have any ideas on what it could be Mm -hmm. sinister hood will be right back professor david kipping of columbia university wrote an academic paper on the wow signal and concluded that the high signal to noise ratio was a crucial point in removing any doubt that the signal could be some type of random statistical fluctuation. Because the signal's peak intensity was 30 times higher than the ambient background noises, the probability of a random fluctuation causing the signal is 1 in 10 to the power of 196, or what Kipping called an astronomically tiny number. If the big ear ran for a trillion years, it would never expect to see a fluctuation like that again. Yeah, talk about things that are beyond our grasp. Numbers to the power of numbers, when they get to 10 to the power of 196, that's just good. I'm just going zero repeating, et cetera. No idea. Don't even, can't even, I don't know. Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) But like, yeah. But it's also when you put into terms, again, that we can't even conceive. A trillion years, that's just a number that we're like, wow, that's really big. You would never see an anomaly like that again, the chances are so, so, so minute Mm -hmm. that for me, it makes it hard to believe this was an accident, a glitch. Yeah, like an oopsie on the computer. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say if anybody would like further uh, visual demonstrations of stuff about the big ear, David Kipping runs the YouTube channel cool worlds so he's a professor but then he also does these and i just have to recommend his channel because there's a, a t- there's a thousand astron there's 10,000 astronomy youtube channels but how many of them are hosted by an ast- astronomy professor with a british accent who's kind of handsome and films all of his voiceover parts in the forest <laughs> okay <laughs> I was just watching it and it's this lovely voiceover and then it would cut to him and it's just he's it's just the forest behind him and he's got like a very professional mic and all I want to know is what the other side of the camera looks like does he just bring is it like Michael Scott with Survivor Man and he's just out there himself by himself does he have a crew anyway it's very is he impressive. by a telescope like is he in a clearing where uh, space equipment might be it's just trees behind him it he's looks just lush. taking a walk Nice. <laughs> Looks really nice. But there's a lot of good visuals in addition to his very calming. And apparently. Narration. Very handsome and British. He's not bad on the eyes. He's <laughs> British too. So you're all automatically you in love with him. Mm-hmm. Researchers then knew two things. First, this was a non-human made, non-naturally occurring sound so far as they could identify. 
Second, it came from space. Armed with that information, they set off on a still ongoing 45-year quest for answers. The signal became so well-known, it was referenced in a 1994 episode of The X-Files, the subject of a 2017 documentary, and the topic of countless books. In 2012, National Geographic celebrated the 35th anniversary of the WOW with a novel idea. What if we replied to the signal? Along with its Chasing UFOs series, Nat Geo partnered with the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico to send off a reply. It included tweets, all mashed together, and broadcast in the general direction from which the WOW transmission came. They also sent videos from celebrities, including Stephen Colbert, who begged, Enough with the probes! And preemptively said, We are not delicious. <laughs> Fuck! I love Stephen Colbert. Oh, uh, if we could quote him in every episode from now on, I'm, I'm fine with that. It is interesting to think, though, you know, I mean, there's two camps of people when it comes to E.T. is, yeah, I definitely want to meet him or no, they would be horrifying when it gets down to brass tacks. I think I'm starting to lean towards we don't know what we're fucking with and it's probably not good. Right. (laughs) I feel like we are probably like. Less evolved than whatever we would be working with. Oh, yeah. And um, if they know things we don't, like, you know, what's going to happen in the future to us, they've got a big advantage. No, I agree. I think we did really well to send Stephen Colbert, who is a great ambassador for the world. (laughs) I was going through the videos for people to quote, and I was like, Miss Universe, Guy from Lost, Stephen Colbert, a king, a legend. Gotta do it. (laughs) Also, I really like that they were like, tweet us. All the tweets were just going to mash them into one message and just send them. And I was like, that's not a good God, these send. poor aliens up there. Like, what the is this? Like, what is what are all these mean? blue check marks? I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> it's like everything from the blue check marks is weird. Uh, but yeah, Baba Booey, uh, people just probably sent dirty words. And <gasps> I think there was probably some welcome alien visitors. But you're right. Colbert had it right, too. We're not delicious. Don't probe <laughs> us. We're good to go. This is just like a hi. How are you? Mm-hmm. We're not trying to invite you over. Or... They're very nice. Also, they, I think there's multiple kinds. So who knows? Just like on our planet, there's us. Yeah. But there's a million other things, you know, (sighs) on another planet. That's true. The squirrels are (laughs) the leaders, you know? Yeah. And what if an extraterrestrial sent a message here and only a squirrel would receive it? They'd be like, oh, well, I sent a message to Earth and... A living creature got it and didn't tell anyone about it. Ver- mm-hmm. What if we did the same thing? We sent it to the equivalent of a squirrel who's like just laughing at a Stephen Colbert video yeah. <laughs> and never responds. They can't use Twitter. They got little hands. They got a tweet. The transmission was directed at three different stars, chosen because of their similarities to our sun, National Geographic said. The closest of the three would receive our transmissions soonest in 41 years. So keep your ears open for a reply coming sometime after 2053. And that's the wild thing is that you send it and because it is so far away, it's just in transit. It's just like yeah. you're getting your shop app update and it's like out, it's out for delivery, but mm-hmm. like it's been out for delivery for 45 years. <laughs> but also by that logic, how long had that uh, radio signal that we picked up with the wow, when did it start getting transmitted that we just now swept over it? 
That's a good point. Damn. It's not in real time, which is a hard thing to conceptualize. Yeah, that's true, because we sent something in 1974, so that would have maybe not been received for 20, 30, 40 more years. So I think you're right. The wow signal was they sent it before we fucked around up there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the wow signal came before we started doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone in the scientific community was as impressed with the discovery. Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at SETI, told documentary filmmakers in 2017. Until you found a signal that you can verify and that's clearly extraterrestrial in origin, you've not had any close calls or any success. You've just been looking and looking. He likened the search for extraterrestrial life to the exploration of an old-time sailor on the ocean, not knowing when or whether he would find land. Yeah, he said, you know, with SETI, being a SETI astronomer, people are like, how's it going? So how's it going? How's mm-hmm. it going? He's like, you know, Marco Polo in the middle of the ocean's like, yeah. I don't know. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, I uh, really can't base it on anything. I mean, I haven't gotten a performance review from up there, but I think we're <laughs> we're doing okay. But when he likened it to, you know, uh, explorers in the 1400s, mm-hmm. it again puts it in a perspective that I think we often forget which is Christopher Columbus couldn't have conceptualized the life that we have now yeah or what was above us or what was even like on the other side of that ocean you know I mean there were things that you didn't even you couldn't even imagine because you didn't know they were a thing Right. Yeah. Or you heard legend of certain things and you're and it's just rumors, you know, like we're going to go look in space. Oh, is it going to be green men with big circle eyes? You know, we would maybe they look similar to that, but not quite, you know, because it is it just gets retold and retold and it's rumors. So, yeah, you're right. I think we're just fumbling around in the dark Mm -hmm. and they thought. But we always think we're the cutting edge. Right. Because Columbus and all the in the 1400s was like, we have ships and we have gold and we're unstoppable and we have maps and we're like, we have rocket ships and we have computers. And probably to us in 200 years or 500 years or a thousand years, like, that's so cute. Yeah. No. They used to text each other. They would send text (laughs) messages. It's hilarious. Like, read some of these. They would argue over like, is it GIF or GIF? But really, it doesn't even matter because these (laughs) things are so adorable. Look at these little figures doing cute funny things they loved minions i don't there's these weird yellow rubbery looking things they put you on a time machine they send you ten thousand years in the future and tell you that you get to go to the (laughs) 2000s museum (laughs) it would be so good i think of that like when we're like the dallas museum of art there's these sculptures carvings these artifacts that are from the Roman Empire, from like thousands of millions of years ago. And I'm like, it's somebody's bowl. And I'm sure if you told them, hey, we put your bowl in a museum and people come and look at it, mm-hmm. they'd be like, I used to, I made sludge in that. What do you mean? Yeah. Isn't that, it's wild. But it it's is. all, perception is reality. I mean, True. Christopher Columbus's reality was, this is water. We do have, we are cutting edge. We have the yeah. biggest boats and, and ships and a bunch of other shit that he shouldn't have had. But to us, it's... I'm talking about enslaved individuals. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. That. To to us, we are also on the cutting edge. So I think mm-hmm. it, wherever uh, society is, is the cutting edge because that's where you, you've, you currently are. But yeah, if you imagine like 100 years from now, what's life like... 
not even for our kids' kids going to look like, it's completely different. Yeah, the way things are developing, for sure. Well, I mean, think of like how our great-grandparents, their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and or, yeah. yeah, like people are traveling across the in covered wagons and shit and like there was just like diseases that were rampant that we don't really have anymore mm-hmm. so it's all gonna change get better hopefully yeah that's what so. that's ray kurtzwell or kurtzwell thinks that and talks about the all the transhumanism that we studied for that episode but then beyond that of so much technology is so powerful that it begets so much more powerful technology. So True. they ran the Apollo missions off the same shit that the iPhone Apple Watch runs off of. One single watch and that ran Apollo. Like imagine what you can run now with what we have. And it's only getting better. Mm-hmm. Douglas Vaykoch, current president of Medi International, told Tech News World in 2012 that the wild signal was not as impressive as it seems, saying... I think it's gotten more publicity than its scientific value merits. It's very similar to the sorts of signals that SETI programs around the world receive all the time. Shostak agreed, telling filmmakers that in all his years utilizing a radio telescope, he and many other SETI researchers worldwide have received similarly strange and significant signals, though none have been as studied or publicized as the WOW. Well, if there's a mailing list, I'd like to be on it. How many are we talking here? (laughs) But it is very interesting. And again, put this in perspective is maybe this isn't as unique as and impressive as we think. It's just been the most reported on. And like with a ton of cases we cover that, you know, involving from space to true crime, like you learn that the more you dig into it, there's usually a different type of story. Mm hmm. And uh, I think Vaykoch and uh, Shostak have some points here. Oh, definitely a good point. I mean, they kept using the term branding, and they're Mm -hmm. not wrong. Jerry even did OSU a huge favor with the wow word. Because it's so snappy. Yeah. The big ear, the wow signal. Yeah, it's it's all fun stuff to say. Though Shostak and other SETI researchers around the world have encountered signals themselves, his skepticism was still couched in wonder, telling filmmakers. The wow signal, of course, continues to intrigue people. Many people think that it's our best case for a signal from extraterrestrial intelligence. I find that maybe a little bit, you know, I don't know, overstated to say it's our best case. It's an intriguing case because it's a mystery. We don't know what it was. In addition to the wow signal... The Big Ear cataloged 70% of the sky and discovered 20,000 radio-emitting objects, many of which were previously unknown, according to the Big Ear's memorial website, bigear.org. However, it never again received a signal as strong or as clear as the wow. By the late 90s, OSU retired the Big Ear. In 98, it was dismantled into six sections, each weighing more than 25 tons. According to BigEar.org, OSU intended to sell the telescope, but for unknown reasons, that never happened. Assistant Director of the Big Ear, Bob Dixon, called the dismantling of the telescope. A tragic situation. And Dr. Krauss called it a day that would live in infamy. They were all very upset by it because the land was sold out from underneath them. It was rented from Ohio Westland University, who sold it to build a golf course and a housing development. And they they scrapped the big ear. How's that working out? 
I'm glad that we have one more housing development and golf course. That's what we needed. (laughs) We take something that's like, there's not another one ever anywhere. (laughs) And then we just replace it with shit that you can get anywhere. Yeah. And I think their argument was like, well, it was built in the 70s. So it's kind of old and technology is updated, which I can kind of get behind. But a something in there's got to be some kind of valuable, you know, yeah, let's not just dump Uh, it all, uh, you know, give a little facelift upcycle it mm-hmm. and then yeah just give it a little more va va voom so we can keep listening and even if it stays like that what a cool thing to go look at if we just bulldoze yeah. all of our history then you know what was it all for i think it's cool to go back and look at that and see where we've come from and also you might learn a thing or two by studying right. it no, they tore it down. It's like on Gross Point Blank when he goes home and it's turned into a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't go home, but now apparently you can golf there. Oh, great. Maybe we can shoot a, maybe we can hit a ball just straight out into space, hole in one on another planet. Yeah, that's where we get the best golfer in the world. <laughs> and we're like, we need you to really make this count. We're going to need like, to get Tiger. Oh. And Tiger, this one's really... It's for all the marbles, but it's for all. The- <laughs> what bigger purse than all of humanity in existence? There's no bigger. <laughs> Sinister Hood will be right back. In 2017, Antonio Paris, assistant professor of astronomy and astrophysics at St. Petersburg College in Florida, announced a major breakthrough. He had identified the source of the Wow signal. Headlines around the world boasted. The 40-year-old mystery of the wow signal was just solved. However, Bob Dixon, an original member on the Big Ear team who had been working there at the time of the wow signal, analyzed Paris's work along with the staff of the OSU Radio Observatory. He published a rebuttal in which he described fatal inaccuracies and Paris's so-called breakthrough. For one thing, the Big Ear's directional position did not match up with the comments that Paris claimed were the source of the wow signal. So this guy claims that there was a, some comets going by at this exact time and the radio waves swept by it and that's what we heard. Which, on the surface, makes a lot of sense. That it is some kind of noise that was just like, bam, like a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. We happened to catch it and it was done. Can you imagine? You write this out. You make an announcement. Forbes picks it up. The shit was in Newsweek. It was all over. And then the man who was there, Bob Dixon, is like, actually, I I mean. (gasps) You think he would have called him. Why wouldn't you have just asked him? That's why I liked about Professor Kipping on Cool Worlds. He said, I was doing a a lot of research on this, and this one name kept coming up, and it was Robert Gray, who was really obsessed with it, the home astronomer in Chicago. And he's like, so I called him. And we talked about the big ear. So it's like you could just yeah. call Bob Pick Dixon if you were like, I'd like to talk to you about the wow signal. He would be like, how much time do you have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you could have saved yourself some embarrassment. God. Dixon and the OSU staff concluded that the specified comet was not the source of the wow signal for a number of reasons. Dixon stated unequivocally in the written rebuttal published via the North American Astrophysical Observatory. The observations of the comet made by the author in 2017 near the position of the WOW object are irrelevant because that is not where the comet was in 1977 when the WOW signal was observed. 
With Paris' announcement debunked, astronomers continued their search for the source. In 2020, Alberto Caballero, an amateur astronomer, worked on cataloging all the stars and planetary bodies located within the area that the signal emanated from. Caballero narrowed it down to 60 sun-like stars as the best candidates. And yeah, he basically, I mean, that's so much work to go through every single possible candidate that was in the view of the telescope at the time. You know, you're going back, calculating their trajectory, our trajectory through space and time and still getting it down to 60. And then a couple of times people have said, oh, I used his research and I got it down to two or three. And just each time there's something that it doesn't quite line up. So is he saying that one of these 60 stars either was created or destroyed and that force was what was picked up? No, I think he was saying that most likely if there is, so they have to kind of narrow it all down and that's, there's an equation that you try to figure out where the planets would have life on it because it's not only like a planet, it's a planet that was in a habitable zone that hasn't been around long enough and yada yada. So he found 60 stars that could support planets around it with life I see. and said like, so maybe one of those planets around, because they don't think it came from a sun-like star just based on the narrow band. If mm-hmm. it was stars make a different sound or make a different uh, frequency. But he said it could be one of like a planet near one of these stars, but it's still taking it down from 300 down to 60 down to, and just go one by one, I guess. That's how you got to do it. Even with the big ear out of commission, the thirst for answers around the wow signal remained. New technology paved the way for further discoveries. The Breakthrough Listen Project, a $100 million initiative founded by Russian billionaire Yuri Milner, physicist Stephen Hawking, and Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, was created in July of 2015 to search for alien life in the universe. According to the project's website, Breakthrough Listen includes a survey of the 1 million closest stars to Earth. It scans the center of our galaxy and the entire galactic plane. Beyond the Milky Way, it listens for messages from the 100 closest galaxies to ours. The program also boasts that its radio surveys cover 10 times more of the sky than previous programs. They also cover at least five times more of the radio spectrum and do it 100 times faster. They are sensitive enough to hear a common aircraft radar transmitting to us from any of the 1,000 nearest stars. And that is exactly the type of technological acceleration that we've been seeing from the 19, whatever, since technology came about, you know, from the first computers to date, is that it doesn't just double. It goes by a hundred factor, a thousand factor. So where the big ear can only do super narrow parts for 72 seconds, dependent on the rotation of the Earth, Old Sucklerberg, as my grandma would say, <laughs> old Sucklerberg, is, he's just like, I mean, that's a massive amount of data and information. Well, they got a massive amount of money to spend on it, so. Right. You know, but at least he's spending it on something that I think is worth a shit. Hopefully they can benefit <laughs> us. And they said it was a 10-year, $100 million project. So July of 2015, we have only a few more years left to see what they come up with. Damn. The extremely sensitive instruments used are 50 times more sensitive than existing telescopes dedicated to the search for intelligence. They have made a handful of announcements regarding fast radio bursts, or FRBs, both in 2012 and 2017. These bursts are so quick and unpredictable, it makes it impossible to determine what event or object could have produced these signals or why they only occur in short, sharp bursts. 
Russian scientist Alexander Zotsev coined the term METI in 2006 to delineate between SETI's research tactics of looking at and listening to the sky versus his goal of making contact by actively sending messages into the sky. He said in a 2006 paper on the subject, METI pursues not a local and lucrative impulse, but a more global and unselfish one to overcome the great silence of the universe bringing to our extraterrestrial neighbors the long-expected annunciation, you are not alone. Stephen Hawking and a whole host of other scientific experts urged caution when reaching out to extraterrestrial neighbors. Hawking told NBC News in 2017, We only have to look at ourselves to see how intelligent life might develop into something we wouldn't want to meet. And that's the quote that blew my mind. We don't we don't think about that kind of stuff. Like what would we want to meet ourselves now? Or what I started thinking about was what if there's a planet just like ours, Mm -hmm. a billion light years away there, there are people like us, you know, we're all, we kind of, we're the same yet. They've just made a lot of different choices. It's like bizarro world. (laughs) How many bizarro worlds are out there where we're all like, well, this is how we do it, so this is how it's done, and we've always done it. And another planet's like, I'm sorry, you keep dogs in your house and just let them (laughs) run around? Or like, wait a second, you kill those things that live out in the grass and then you cook their meat and eat them? You know, I mean, there's so many things that are just normalized, but would that be to others, and including like weapons, war? Oh, yeah ideologies etc no that's a good point because you like he said we only have to see how we're intelligent what we say earlier we're the top we're the apex and see how stupid we are to each other and how wasteful we are with the earth and disrespectful and mean and stupid for selfish reasons i'm like i wouldn't want to meet somebody like us (laughs) i want to meet the the ones that did all the other stuff that made the different choices you know where they're located the urantia book (laughs) Tell you all about the aliens that had come to save us. That's true, yeah. Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at SETI, agreed, describing the conundrum of METI. To begin with, what do you say to someone you've never met and who's a member of a different species? Much of the conversation centers on whether we should show our bad side. Do we tell aliens that we engage in war, threaten our environment, and chow down on other critters? Physicist Mark Buchanan agreed, writing in the journal Nature Physics. Any civilization detecting our presence is likely to be technologically very advanced and may not be disposed to treat us nicely. At the very least, the idea seems morally questionable. Well, do you just shoot all your shit up into space and hope for the best, or... Do you do it the American way and you play your cards close to the (laughs) chest and you're like, I'm not giving up any type of information that might work to my advantage? Yeah, that's are you asking what I would do? That's a rhetorical question. Sure. What would you do? I don't know, because earlier I thought, man, it really would be a good idea to send signals into space. But I think Hawking hit the nail on the head. What I say earlier, he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. You know, no, I don't. Very few have ever questioned that. He's a smart guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, when you think about it in those terms of, no, we're, if, as hopefully, if they do reach out, they're way, way more advanced to the point that they have gotten over war and famine and abuse and all that. Hmm. 
Well, it was only in 2012 that the Voyager 1 spacecraft, launched way back in 1977, finally made it outside of our solar system into interstellar space. With the introduction of the James Webb Telescope in 2021 and the ongoing intergalactic scanning from the Breakthrough Listen program, the source of the wow signal, or something even better, may be on the horizon. So what do we think? My concern with what Stephen Hawking said is I think we are not ready to send. I mean, he's right. And I think my concern with what Medi scientists are interested in of waving your arms and going, hey, hey, we're here is we don't have our own backyard in order. And I don't think you should invite anybody to the party until you've solved hunger, world hunger, until you've solved the destruction of the planet. Don't invite anyone down here. Because what, if, what go, if, Heather, those answers are up there? Maybe those are the answers. And then uh, my concern would be that they would look at us and go, they're so primitive. Why would we go to that? Like if you peered into a planet like ours and got a, a snapshot of at Hiroshima bombing people mm-hmm. and ju- like I said the the tragic things that we do to each other and even something like eating animals like you said or uh, emitting um, all the excessive amount of carbon emissions all that stuff I know you know I sound like a hippie and these are all kind of hippie to be talking points but I do mean if you think in terms of a logical purely I am concerned about my own safety thing. If you looked at a planet and said they are destroying their planet, they will kill each other. They kill outsiders. They don't like anyone they perceive as different, even though they're literally all the same. They're all from the same fucking planet. What are they all infighting about? I wouldn't go down that. So I want, I, I could say either we are listening quietly, hoping someone visits or hollering like, y'all come on down here. But I think if the truly more intelligent than us life looks at us they would go oh, no thank you <laughs> clean that up clean Maybe. that situation up or they're like oh those poor idiots let's or they're like <laughs> let's uh we can use them to our advantage we'll eat them we'll use them for fuel for our batteries like or what if that's we it? <laughs> we're all about war so they're yeah. we're gonna recruit them as soldiers i mean i don't how anybody would perceive our planet because I don't know true how what their planet is like. So I think we do think, you know, that of like nobody wants to come down here because it sucks as far as, you know, not all of it sucks. There's no, a lot of and maybe the glimpses they get are like really nice moments of a, a baby being brought into the world and everyone being joyful or, you know, like yeah, huge monumental like um moments in history that are positive so maybe they see those i don't want to give up on trying to make contact with things but i do agree that before we're worried about things up there we should be more worried about things that we know are here that we have some semblance of control over to help Right. We all have to live every day like we're trying to make the place nice to invite our new alien friends because mm-hmm. they're not going to come to a messy house. So just we live and clean up. <laughs> yeah. But also, <laughs> do we know that? No, they could be they horrible. They might love mess. Maybe we're not messy enough and that's why they don't contact us, you know? <laughs> They're like, wait till they burn a little more and then mm-hmm. we'll go. Yeah, it's a lot like, or are we thinking about it in terms of humans and intelligence and creation and maybe it's pure consciousness or whatever. I don't know. It's just so much unknown out there. I think that's why I love all of the, uh, studying all the topics like this, like the moon for the show or for the wow signal where there's something there, something concrete that there was a, a sound that happened and even beyond that, now there's 
like Seth Shostak said, there's sounds all the time. The FRBs mm-hmm. come out. Like, so as we, I'm excited to see as we continue this exploration, which I think we should fund it. And I'm very happy that private funders have stepped in where maybe public funding has fallen through to say, yes, go forth, scientists, do as much as you need to. And I love that there are volunteers out there willing to show up and, and go page by page, just like Jerry and, and help us find something badass. What do you think was the cause of the signal? I think it was something that was going on and the refractor hit it at the right time, but I don't think it was a sustained sound, although that's one of the possible hypotheses in Professor Kipping's paper in his video is he talks about if it was a repeating sound and it repeated uh, at a certain interval f- interval frequency, it would require so much extra data and so much more that the big ear didn't have to try to track it down. But he has a pretty compelling argument that it was a, a long repeating, not long, but a repeating sound that was purposefully made, but maybe not directed at the earth, but happened to be uh, going at that time. I, I don't know that it was an alien, but I don't think it was anything. I think that enough people have looked over, looked at it over the last 45 years that it was not an oopsie on the machine, a satellite or something else. I think it's exactly what Seth Shostak said, who's pretty skeptical where he's like, we just know we don't know. We know it wasn't us and we know it wasn't anything that we know in space. But it could be that there's a certain type of black hole we never knew before mm-hmm. and we figured out, oh, that's what it is. Paris uh, pointed that out that he's all into space stuff too. And he was just like, there was, I think it was pulsars when they first uh, discovered this movement in space. They're like, this is a new wild thing. And it wasn't till later with further study that you go, oh, that was a pulsar. But mm-hmm. it's cool because it's a new thing. So it may be that in 5, 10, 20 years, Project Listen or, or Breakthrough Listen Project or whatever says, oh my gosh, we found out it's the wow signal. It was like you said, oh, a sun exploded or it was, you know, mm-hmm. whatever these things that we weren't able to know before, but we know now, which I'm open to too. But I do think it was non-man-made artificial sound from space that I think we keep looking keep listening. Yeah, my theory would be that it's um was some sort of a celestial sound, a explosion of some sort, the creation of something, the be- the end of something that probably happened way 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 long ago and we're just now hearing it. It <laughs> just it was a delay. Yeah, I mean That's true. Could it be and I'm about to blow your mind. I'm ready. And this I'm ready probably to isn't even, <laughs> this probably doesn't even really make sense, but it was a thought that occurred to me the after, after my edible kicked in the other night. What if it is our planet in the future ending and we're hearing that noise because, you know, it happens in the future, but it has to travel back to us in the in the past. Does that make sense? It does. I think we should give it a name. Big Bang Theory. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. It's such a good name. Um, Gosh, I feel like I'm on the cusp <laughs> of something really big here. Yeah. And then whenever you go, let's, let's put the wow signal through this radio and have it play. Then it plays the theme song to the TV show, <laughs> Big Bang Theory. That's the it's wow just that signal. bare naked lady song. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. And it started with a big bang. <laughs> And then it's Sheldon because everyone loves Sheldon. I'm, I'm glad we sent Stephen Colbert, but also why do we not send Sheldon? 
Oh, yeah. Everyone Jim Parsons has got to go up there. He's an angel. Send his face. <laughs> send his face to everyone. <laughs> then they'll show up. Send him just like a clip of the Big Bang Theory. Then they would be like, look, these people are smart. They're nice. They have friends that are maybe laughing They're at something. They're all attractive and they know <laughs> science. They're all good looking. Here, Yeah, we're in. We're all that's, in. That's how we lure them here. No, I think you're, that's, a, that's a good point. What? And we wouldn't be able to know it or see it because it's kind of like all this crazy loop. That's the beginning of that Infinity show. There's a whole thing about it, this ball. And anyway, but I think you're, you may be onto something. I don't know. Because we don't know how much we don't know. And we, until we keep investing and we keep utilizing the more rapidly expanding technology to go even further than we've ever gone. You're right. Maybe in 50 years or 500 years, it, it is like, oh, my God, that's the beginning and the end. Wait, would it make more sense that what that was was hearing our current planet that we live on being destroyed in the future? Or are we hearing the creation of the planet that we now know happening however long ago? I, up until recently, didn't understand the fact that we're simultaneously moving through space and time and we only know as far back as we've been able to track where we've been. So I can't say definitively that that's not true. Either the birth or the death of us. And was it all in one one big bang, just like the show? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there might be a scientist out there that says, ah, that doesn't jive because of these five things. And like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but I like it. And so I say we stick to it. Okay, whatever. I didn't go to Cornell. <laughs> yada, yada. It's pronounced OSU. Colonel. Whatever. And it's the highest rank in the military. So you don't even say your name's school. Your dang school, right? No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I couldn't. I can't debunk that. And I love that theory. And that's uh, if we do ever look through and figure out back in the light years, that was it. That's. Either beautiful because it's the sound of our birth or horrifying because that's how we're going to go. Yeah. Or it's all the same thing. Isn't it all? Birth and death all at once. It's all that DMT. That's a future episode. And now (laughs) we get to the point in the episode. Just kidding. We're already an hour and a half in. It's over. But we are going to have some discussions on DMT probably at the tour because. Buckle up. We've, uh, you know, we've been talking about mushrooms. Now we're talking about DMT. <laughs> to clarify, we're not doing mushrooms or we're not DMT. Do- we haven't done them. We're just we just watch documentaries about them and then talk about them. I have but- done mushrooms several times. Okay. I've never had the experience that I'm looking for. That in the uh, documentary that we watched. Last night, I was like, this is what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to have some spiritual awakening where I'm under a weighted blanket with a night mask and headphones and somebody holding my hand instead of, you know, on a back porch at some party at 2 (laughs) a.m., which is also very fun and has its place. But I want like, yes, I'm trying to see that DMT molecule. I want that plane trying to do it. Get on it. I don't want to take DMT because I'm scared of it. Well, if you know anything about DMT, send us an email at sinisterhoodpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know <laughs> your experience. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. If you've done it and you've had a wild experience, please email. You could also send it into Freaky Friday. Oh, that too. Yeah. If you want to, sinisterhood.com slash contact, fill out the Freaky Friday form. Because mm-hmm. maybe when we're in those hit the altered states of consciousness and become one with the energy in the universe, we are traveling through space and time 
So that's all. Uh, they really missed out. Bob Dixon, Dr. Jerry Krause, Jerry Eamon, they just should have tripped together and they would have found the solution. <laughs> I had an astronomy teacher in college that in watching that documentary, I was like, golly, they just all got a playbook on this is what you wear. These are the glasses you wear. This is the tie. This is how you do your hair. I mean, to the T. Oh, I wonder if I could find my a picture of my old astronomy teacher or professor in college, um, a class in which I got a C minus. So I also, I was also getting C's was, in astronomy. It was not, hard for me. Did not go well. But he was very, he had a lot of swagger and he would always open the class with a bunch of pictures of space, which I realized now was a bait and switch because he was like, look at all the space. Don't mm. you want to track these beautiful space equations? And I was like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Math, math, physics. Um, mine... We did not have a lot of, well, he had swagger in his own way. He loved a short sleeve button down, like mustard yellow with stripes, you know, a tie that was too short, definitely (laughs) a pocket protector, hair like um, Doc in- uh, (laughs) Marty, Marty, we gotta find the black holes. Yeah, but, but, but brown- uh, big old glasses. You know the ones I'm talking oh, yeah. about. He sounds like yeah. He sounds yeah, like he was great, but he was super. And he also <laughs> would be like, okay, like occasionally it would sound Mm-mm. like what's his name from South Park. And it was around the time that Mr. came Mackey. out. I don't think he was doing it to be funny. That's just like honestly how he talked. Also <laughs> no. brilliant. He was fucking brilliant. They all are, man. God bless the scientists and the astronomers and everyone that is doing physics for us because we sure for ain't sure. doing it. We'll just keep looking up with our mouths open. That's what I'll be doing through God my thing. telescope that came out of a box. <laughs> if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content like this week's true crime headlines on the Idaho murder updates, and so much more. For recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show, and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. Head to Sinisterhood.com to check out some Sinisterhood merch. The proceeds in May went to benefit the Victims First Fund for those impacted by the Allen Outlet Mall shooting. So if you're still hearing this on May 31st, get your purchases in, or you can also just head to our website and donate directly from there. You can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets at SinisterHood.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SinisterHoodPod and like us on Facebook at SinisterHood. You can also find us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast, and catch us on Cameo where we can do customized video shoutouts. We can say happy birthday, happy anniversary, pep talk, whatever you want. Cameo.com and search up SinisterHood to book your customized video shoutout. Christy, where are you at online? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Shabler Nation. Stephanie F. Kendra Northover. Corey Stevens. Kristen Sramick. Christine. Little Dai Singh. Amy Ackley. 
Grace Almeida. And Alexandria Young. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs> Sinister Hood.